Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Chill War Podcast. It's the third and thirty-four. My name's Benjamin Yoder. Did you forget about me? Did you miss me? We've been gone for one week. If you don't know, uh, the podcast is going to be every other week going forward until I let you know. Otherwise, that has definitely uh, changed my notes uh, a lot. Um, where it's like, oh, I put this on my note sheet and uh, kind of barely remember I put it on here. And then also, it means I have longer notes. So maybe we'll have a longer episode. Maybe we won't. Maybe I'll run through things faster than than before. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, but we're going to do some uh, some news talk first and foremost up here. Um, and then that's going to include some hardware stuff. You know, there's going to be some more straightforward news stories you probably already heard already. And I'll probably just give a passing comment on those. We got a silly little accessory from Nintendo Switch. Got a couple of games that I thought kind of jumped out at me. And then uh, also a couple follow-ups to... Um, again, once again, Final Fantasy 14, and then also fighting games. So if you're willing to sit through me, uh, you know, struggling, uh, then <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for, for doing that. Um, and then if we get time at the end of the episode, uh, if it's not already ridiculously long, um, I wanted to go ahead and give you a walk through my thoughts of Tokyo and Kiwami since I finished that up. So that is kind of the goals of today's episodes, but as a fresh new bi-weekly or, or every other two weeks bi-weekly is weird because it could be mean twice a week as well but every other two-week show um we'll figure out how things are, are going and maybe maybe we'll find that this format doesn't work and then we go right back to me uh sacrificing myself at the altar every weekend <laughs> so so yeah um just a quick note here real quick i'm not gonna get too deep into this but uh nintendo chronicler uh, put up a Halloween video. It was Halloween before we talked last time. Um, and uh, they uh, wanted to feature some some spooky, horror-ish Nintendo games. So I, I went ahead and submitted a Nintendoji, and they accepted that. So if you want to check that out, I'll, I'll include a link for that in the um, the podcast description. Um, but that was a, a cute little video, and I'm glad they, they, they took that. And uh, hopefully, again, expose more people to the Nintendoji uh, life, because I don't think many people have engaged in the Nintendoji life. Even the people who watch my videos, I, I the thing I kind of feel with the English guide stuff and things like that is like most people don't want to bother. Um, and then also, like, I think even with fan translations, a lot of people don't want to bother. <laughs> so, so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't say nobody plays them, um, but I, I do feel like a lot of times it's like the, 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 the announcement of a fan translation feels like more impactful than like the actual fan translation when it comes out sometimes. That's not always true. I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I can't tell you. So, um, oh, and then uh, Bokunatsu, uh, Natsu Yasumi, I can't remember the, the, how they say the name, uh, the two, I was playtesting that, and that is uh, out, so if you want to go check that out, we may be able to talk about Boku in the future, I don't know, I have weird feelings about Boku, we may or may not talk about it in the future, if I completely forget to talk about it next time, uh, we will not talk about Boku on the podcast <laughs> at that point, at least, so, um, so yeah, but uh, the Nintendo G thing did remind me, because the guy who made the video reached out to me for, for gameplay footage, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can I can send you that over, and I sent him over. I was like, why don't I just upload all my gameplay footage onto my archive channel that I have? Uh, so I went ahead and, got, and started uploading just a ton of footage to my archive channel: Nintendo G, First Soldier, a uh, bunch of games for girls games and things like that. It is just like bulk raw uploads on it, and so I like, don't expect it to be actual content. It's more of just hey, if you need somebody who played twenty plus hours of Nintendo G, and you need to look at like what happened when they did that. Here you go. There you go. It's there. Some of the video is bad. Some of it like was messed up, didn't have sound or scaled poorly or whatever, right? There's there's, there's all sorts of problems with those things, but they're not being uploaded for views. They're being uploaded for uh, just raw, here's some gameplay. <laughs> so 
Um, I did almost hit my data cap uh, this month already, unfortunately. Well, not already. We're at the end of the month. But unfortunately, uh, with, with the internet I have, there's a data cap. So just got to uh, play it play it carefully. I'm at like 90% right now. So I think uh, this week is all I have to kind of wean myself on with that. So hopefully it will work out. And then I also went to a uh, anime expo uh, over the weekend as well. And uh, that was Sin City Anime again. Uh, did not do a panel this year, but uh, had a good time going around Artist Alley. Had a good time talking to people, things like that. So that was uh, pretty exciting. Um, I am Level Up Expo panels are open. Submissions are open right now, so I will probably plan to do that. Um, I think I have an idea for what I want to do, but I just got to sit down and actually work it out and hopefully get it in before they close their deadline and then wait to see if they accept my panel. But I have a pretty clear idea of what I want to do, I think. So anyways. That's kind of what's up and up with me at this moment. So let's get into bum, 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 ba, dum, the game news. Uh, we're going to go over some of these two major uh, stories that were kind of major news stories uh, real quick. Um, one is that the PlayStation 5 uh, Slim that had that disk drive add-on that we talked about before. Um, it requires an internet connection to activate the disk drive. So, you know, if you didn't know, there's a digital system that they're going to be selling. And instead of, you know, having a digital and a, and a, and a disk-based system like the past PlayStation 5 model... They're just going to have one system, and they will sell some as just the disk system as well, but both of them are the same hardware, and they both just have the disk drive that can attach on. So you can transform a digital system into a disk system. But apparently installing that disk drive requires an internet connection. Um, I don't think this story really matters. I think I'm at the point now where like any kind of official stuff like this that require an internet connection that's just like activating devices and stuff, um, you know, 20 years down the line is when this is all really start to matter, right? And um, 20 years down the line, you know, emulation and hacking and stuff ideally will be in a position that, you know, you will have options to do whatever you need to do. And Sony will not care at that point. Right. So it is a short term issue. And for most people, they're going to be able to connect it up to the Internet and activate that disrupt. That's kind of my feelings at the moment. So um, I know there's a lot of stink that got kicked up about it, but eh, I think it's fine for what it is. And given the consumer market and given how much. Uh, hacking is going to play a role in making sure these consoles stay playable in the long term, in my opinion. Nintendo also filed a patent for a uh, detachable dual screen device, it seems like. So basically, um, this device is kind of like a DS looking thing. But I believe from what I recall, this is one of those older news stories that I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, the, the screens could like detach from each other, which seems like a very dangerous thing to do for like a game console that would like kids would use right is that they would lose the second screen uh, if you could detach it but i don't know i guess the, you could say the same thing about joy cons or something like that so um i'm not super excited about this just because i don't really know what the execution would be i don't really expect nintendo to lean super hard into any kind of hardware gimmicks at this point i think as long as that thing could connect up to a tv the dual screen aspect of it will not really matter so uh, I hope it does. I hope it does. And I hope they find ways to make that work on a screen for capturing because I like capturing video games. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't have a ton of faith. But hey, cool if Nintendo does something weird. I would love for Nintendo to do something weird. That's I, I want I'm all in. I want all the weirdness. And then we can get back to, you know, having to ship your Nintendo platform to Japan to have some company uh, hack your system if you want to capture any gameplay from it because that's how life is. <laughs> so, um, and then the last story that I thought this, I thought this was kind of interesting. It's maybe kind of useless garbage, but I thought this was interesting. Taiko uh, Drum Master, so the Bandai Namco uh, rhythm game with the big Taiko drums, right? You beat in the arcades. If you don't know, there's been home versions of those. And, you know, if you want to play Taiko drums in the home version, you can either buy a little plastic drum and uh, play that way. 
Or you can use the Joy-Cons and swing your Joy-Cons up and down. I'm going to guess probably button inputs as well if you really want that. Um, but, you know, I feel like a part of the Tyco experience is smacking that drum. Um, but what if you want the feeling of smacking that drum without actually smacking that drum? And you can do that with this new Tyco uh, Drum Master accessory that basically <laughs> snaps onto your Joy-Con. So this is like wee plastic garbage trash, um, but it has little uh, weights inside. So when you swing it, it gives the feeling of hitting something, even though you're obviously motioning in the air and things like that. So when you when you stop it, it should give like a click kind of thing, right? And I think that is very cool. Now it is still like I, th- I think if like if you were to like with the exchange rate today, it's like twenty five bucks or something like that. But if you're spending twenty five bucks, <laughs> I kind of feel like at that point you probably should just buy the drum for your Tyco Master games on the Switch. But I thought it was a cute idea, and uh, honestly, if I could get my hands on it without too much trouble, I would probably try it um, because I think that is a a neat thing, and I would love to see how it feels. Um, you know, I think a lot about how Samba de Amigo on the Wii, I think, did a really good job of utilizing the Wii Remote's controls to uh, uh, gimmicks to make it feel like you are shaking a maraca, right? And uh, obviously, the Joy-Con doesn't really have that, or at least I would not. I have not tried to play a Tyco game with Joy-Cons. I would suspect the rumble is too light for it to really feel like that can work properly in terms of like feeling like you're hitting something with a drum. Uh, or uh, drum, uh, hitting a drum with a stick. So I would be very curious how this feels, but this seems like definitely, at least in America, would be like, you know, Best Buy bottom shelf <laughs> trash accessories for your super popular hardware. Um, but but yeah, I thought it was a cute thing. So looked at a couple of games. Uh, one of these we've talked about before, Utopia, or I think it's like Hebereke 2 or something like that is the Japanese name. Utopia 2. Um, I thought this originally this was going to be a remake, uh, but it's a, if you don't know, Utopia is like an NES game. I don't think it came out in the U.S. actually. I think it was a uh, PAL in Japan only, but it's like a Sunsoft kind of like platformer Metroidvania thing, I think, where you can like get different characters with the different abilities and things like that. The little like white, like ghost looking characters and stuff. Um, and they announced a sequel a while ago. One's like a penguin actually. Um, and they announced a sequel a while ago, or at least I thought it was a remake is what they announced it as, but here's the, probably the machine translation getting to me. Um, and it looked pretty nice because it had a very, like, Yoshi's Woolly World aesthetic where it's, like, very, like, crafty kind of, like, I forget what it's called where you, like, stab the needles into things to, like, pull the yarn out kind of thing. And it makes, like, this kind of, like, fluffy little ball. Cross, not cross-stitching. What am I thinking of? I, I bought some once to try to do it. I never ended up doing it. And I think I gave it to somebody. What if I gave it to Cargadon? I don't know. Anyways, uh, cross-stitching? I don't know. Whatever. It's very craft-looking. And, uh, you know, Sunsoft company i don't exactly expect a lot of budget from and uh this actually looks very good visually i think it actually pretty much nails that visual style really well which is just very surprised given you know sunsoft not exactly the premier quality highest developer i can think of in terms of, like visual quality and things like that i feel i expect more like hacky you know retro project projects out of them uh, apparently it's like a metroidvania style game with like some roguelite elements roguelike whatever the definition of that is um i don't really know much about that uh, i still haven't got my copy of edo and um my ps5 has only been used for tokiden <laughs> um that is i think a roguelite roguelite game as well but uh and i've played like crimson tears forever ago but i just don't know how that like relates to the modern roguelite or mo- roguelite thing I, ha- I just haven't played that but um, I saw people in my Discord were uh, maybe not the, the, the happiest about that, um, but, you know, I don't know. I thought it looked cute at the very least. Will I ever play it? Probably not. Free Jack. Speaking of another game I will never play, Free Jack Online is an online racing game. Looks very, I don't know what region it is, but it reminds me of, like, a Korean racing game for some reason. 
like from the 2000s or something. It, maybe it was. Who can say? <laughs> but this is a parkour racing game. Has a very like jet set radio style look to it. And uh, but I will say the courses are all very narrow as far as I can tell. So it is very very stringent on where you're going. So it's not like Jet Set Radio in terms of the freedom of exploration, the platforming elements, things like that. But it just had like a nice look to it and it looked kind of fun. And I think it's like six to eight people in a race kind of thing. And they all have very, very uh, distinct character designs and things like that. I don't know if the characters like play differently at all, but I would hope so in a racing game, they have different stats and attributes and things like that. But I just thought it looked pretty cool. So I thought I would bring it up. Parkour racing game. Neat. Where's the Mirror's Edge racing game, buddy? EA? John Riccatello, you going back to EA? Make some mirrors at race. It's racing. I'm going to elaborate no further on this story. Game of life. Outsold Sonic Superstars. In Japan. Uh, okay, that, that was the end of that. that. Murasame Castle, Devil World, and Castlevania Legends added to Nintendo Switch Online. I think that's just a really cool set of games. Just like one of those, those sets of games that like, yeah, Murasame Castle, kind of not too surprising. And Castlevania Legends should freaking go somewhere at some point. I don't think it's in the current Switch collection or anything like that. So that's cool that it's there. Um, so it's like they're games that absolutely should be available earlier, probably in the system's lifespan. We're getting to that point where it's like the fall off of Nintendo, like putting this stuff out. And, you know, what happens is next console cycle comes around and like, oh, whoops, sorry, guys, we don't support this service anymore and we're going to start the next service and guess what we're gonna put out super mario world again and you're gonna like it <laughs> so i feel like we're we're edging towards that era of nso but hopefully it all carries forward that, that would be my hope um i know some people were like oh they they said the nintendo switch is backwards compatible and your purchase carry over as far as i can tell from that quote that came out i'm not sourcing this because i'm too lazy to go grab it and this was forever ago but there's a quote that came out about doug bowser's where he's like yeah we're gonna keep the nintendo online account system which does not mean any of that <laughs> it just means we're not going to make yet another friend code system for you to enjoy um so i i don't think that stuff's been really confirmed if that stuff kind of like uh bled over to you at this point don't think i don't think nintendo wants to tell you about that at this point so and that's pretty much it for news stuff um let's get into some things i did a little bit of uh thinking about and looking at and, and getting some external feedback so if you don't know we, I, I talked about this a little bit in the discord but like a lot of my process in understanding a game I don't understand is just kind of beating the heck out of my brain until it actually says something of value. <laughs> um, so that's why we get long rants about Final Fantasy XIV. Um, so one thing I did, because I kind of felt like I was stuck where I wasn't really evolving my thoughts on Final Fantasy XIV, but there were like also things I wanted to consider because I felt like I was realizing the approaches I was going to take to Final Fantasy XIV wasn't really going to work out for what I was trying to do. Um, and, and the thought I was, so what I did is I went and watched some reviews online for Final Fantasy 14, you know, from whatever era, I didn't care. I just wanted to know about the combat specifically. What did people like about the combat? And it was actually a very hard thing to find good information on because every review I saw of Final Fantasy 14, uh, sorry, if I said Final Fantasy 11 earlier, I meant Final Fantasy 14. Every review I saw of Final Fantasy 14, uh, review I saw of Final Fantasy 14, just pitted it against World of Warcraft. And that is not helpful for me, somebody who has not played World of Warcraft, right? I played Final Fantasy XI, sorry buddies. So I'm just like, okay, I don't really know what you mean by that. But but the, the key things I really took out of those, that the, the reading online was um, the, the heavy focus on the fact that Final Fantasy XIV has something called a global cooldown, which basically means when you use an ability in Final Fantasy XIV, 
you cannot use another ability in most cases immediately after they like when you use that ability you have to wait until your cooldown is done for every ability and it's like the cooldown is like a set cooldown across the board so you know it's all like you know two seconds or something like that i don't know how long it is um so that that's kind of been the focus of the reviews i saw and the other thing was movement so if you don't if you never seen a final phase 14 boss fight basically what happens is you're fighting the boss and then a bunch of like circles and rectangles and lines appear on the floor and like things appear over your head and really what it boils down to is you need to move and you need to move to the right spot i'm mean, sure there's other situations where that's not the case i'm just saying the core concept seems to boil down to that and those seem to be the two things that everybody kind of point pointed to where global cooldown is a system you have to kind of work, learn to work with. And uh, there are abilities that work off that global cooldown. And so there's like some benefit to them like saying, okay, when, where can you slip, you know, slip in these abilities that help you most between global cooldown? And the other thing was the movement uh, and the fact that it's kind of like a dance kind of thing, right? Um, and so it makes the the, the, the level or the, the combat you know, more engaging because you're not just standing there standing abilities, you're moving around and things like that. So um, those are things that uh, I don't particularly like about that game. Uh, and I didn't really, like, th those aren't really new details for me per se. Uh, but the thing that kind of really stood out to me was um, somebody, a comment somebody made about rotations. If you don't know about rotations, this basically is the the order of your abilities that you use. Um, and you want to use your abilities in a particular order, um, because it will give you different boosts and things like that, and um, I don't, I don't, I haven't played that many jobs in Final Fantasy XIV to really know what this this looks like. But I believe certain classes get much longer or orders of abilities and stuff like that as well. So it's not as simple as in my case where I play a tank, just pressing the three, same three buttons over and over again. You have kind of like longer, I would assume, like ten plus chains of abilities and things like that. And somebody said, um, once you understand your rotation. You don't need to think about it to do damage. You just know what it is and you can just throw it out there. And if you have a good rotation set up and you're able to keep track of it and you can do it without thinking, then you'll do the most damage, basically. And that really reminded me a lot of two genres, um, rhythm games, because I think with rhythm games, you have to not engage your brain at a certain level. You have to just let the rhythm take over and like your body just know what the patterns are and and execute, right? Um, I'm not a big rhythm game player. So if you're like, Ben, that's not how that works for me at all. That's perfectly fine. That is my my understanding of how rhythm games are is that at some point you enter the Zen state where you're not thinking, you are just acting. And fighting games also, I think, has a little bit of this as well, where um, with fighting games, it is... Like there's there's a moment when you're you're staring somebody down and like when they move and use an ability you can't think you have to just react to that so that that reminded me of that a little bit as well but fighting games I think there's a lot more dynamic elements um, to it and I think that's one thing that Fox 14 does not have is dynamic elements I think you are really chasing a perfect execution on a boss fight and basically saying all people in this group need to do this i'm not saying you have to be perfect to win but you know you you have to you have a certain level of being perfect that matters and uh i talked to some people and some friends on twitter or some people on twitter and some friends 
about this. And um, th- most of their complaints, because it mostly got complaints given to me. I didn't get any positive feedback. But, you know, I think I think people who are willing to complain are the more, more likely to talk uh, about it. Is uh, the biggest issues really seem to come down to the lack of variety in the boss fights and the fact that, like, your ability to move and your ability to do your rotation properly are really the only two things that are being checked in that game and making sure you're doing that. Because if you can't move, you're going to die, obviously. And then for damage, if you don't kill an enemy within a certain period of time, they go into a rage mode. Uh, or or there'll be like certain abilities where you have to do some certain amount of damage. So it's about making sure your entire party can do the damage you need to not wipe immediately, basically, or be in a situation or be put in a situation where you're basically going to wipe probably. So, um, yeah, so I think that was just kind of like, I don't know. It was just good things to think about. Um, the rhythm aspect, I think, is something I don't re- resonate with very well, but I, I think that's something that kind of helped click in the piece a little bit for me. Um, and then also just kind of understanding what people didn't like about it as much. Um, I'm not going to go into detail of what I plan to do when I get back to that game. I think I talked a little bit about that last time and my plans have changed a bit, but the reality is, is I don't plan to play Final Fantasy 14 before the end of this year. So I'll hold off until I actually do something and we can leave that aside. Another thing I want to talk about real quick is Sakurai did a video on the Shoryuken, the hit uh, move Dragon Punch is that what that is? Um, the hit move from the Street Fighter series, featuring Mr. Streets, um, where uh, you have to like put in a, a input to do your like uppercut, right? So as with most Street Fighter based fighting games, you're gonna put in like three inputs, and that will be like swooshes or stuff like that, or, or some kind of quarter circle thing or whatever it's called, right? You know, the street you're gonna do the Hadouken, right? Um, and so. Um, I thought it was just interesting in this video because I, I talked a little bit before about like what do button inputs mean for attacks and and when we look at the modern day fighting game a lot of games aim to reduce the need for button inputs right you, here's a shortcut button here's a modern control scheme where you don't have to do this um, but Sakurai kind of wrote down or kind of broke down the idea that like the button inputs you use for sure you can <clears throat> mean a lot when it comes to uh, a guarding, actually, because when you use a shoryuken, you have to press forward, which is entirely, you know, um, turning off block, essentially, right? And then you have to uh, press down, which makes you kind of open to to aerial attacks, which the shoryuken as a as a you know aerial move um, would be we our aerial anti air maybe is the way I should say. Um, would be be typically receiving that, so it makes you vulnerable to that. But then you uh, put forward and like down. I think is what it is. Sorry if I didn't, if I didn't get the order right, but and that essentially is like the ultimate. Like you are down on the ground, and then also you're pushing forward, so you're not blocking, and that executes the sure you can. And seeing it explained that way um, just made a lot of sense, and I think that made me better understand certain parts of that input i'd be very curious to know like how many games have put that kind of thought into those kind of inputs um or how many games just were like well street fighter did it let's just make it the street fighter combo because that's what everybody knows so um so i thought that was like a really interesting uh, thing as well that kind of helped give me some clarity on the stuff i talked about before where i was like i feel like special moves and fighting games should uh replicate the movement of the move more so i could better understand what i'm doing and when um, and, uh, and then I think this is a good video as to why you don't do that, but there's always trades off, right? And that's why, you know, so many games are, are doing away with those kind of button inputs, 
um, with specials and things like that. Because there are other things you need to consider that are not just, you know, are you guarding or are you in a guard able position or not, right? Um, and Street Fighter Six kind of deals with that by limiting the characters in other ways as well to try to balance modern and classic playstyles. So, anyways, um, before we get into Tokyden, uh, we're going to go into our uh, Jillian's corner. Thank you again, Jillian, for your question this week. And Jillian asks a uh, question that's always difficult for me, which is, "What video game, ladies, did you like when you were younger?" Uh, if you don't know, I've kind of got weird hangups about complimenting women. <laughs> For various reasons, uh, so so um, I, I I often uh, don't like thinking about uh, that stuff very much, and so it's very difficult for me to compliment women um, for various reasons, despite generally saying I'm a straight guy. Um, anyways, that stuff aside, um, girls that I liked growing up, um, I think the earliest ones I remember, earliest earliest one I remember is Ellie from Harvest Moon '64. She's like a little bakery girl. She's very like sweet looking, but I think that was kind of like everybody's crush. I feel like I feel like Ellie is like the secret popular one. Everyone wants the the cute bakery girl. I remember giving her rocks all the time and uh, and uh, not having a successful uh, relationship with Ellie because hey, guess what? I didn't know how those games worked, <laughs> so I just didn't know what I was doing. I basically didn't play Harvest Moon sixty four as much as I uh, owned it and uh, and played it. So. Celia, also Harvest Moon character. She's the green girl in Harvest Moon. Uh, farmer girl. I remember liking her as well. She's also, you know, goody two-shoes kind of girl kind of thing. And then there is Pepper Box. The renegade from Evolution 2. Lady with wearing jeans, but one entire jean leg is gone. She's got her cleavage hanging out. I don't remember anything about liking Pepper Box other than that she was flirty. And she probably because she was curvy was the other thing as well. So I remember briefly having a, 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 a feelings towards her to some degree, I guess. I don't know what I would say. I mean, this is technically just like like as well. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel like we are in the, the, the headspace of, uh, I don't know, whatever. I don't care. I, this is so hard for me to talk about, but I'm trying to make it work. <laughs> Anyways, Pepperbox, I thought, uh, I don't think I really liked her for any reason other than um, she, like, had a, she was maybe one of the earlier characters that I realized that, like, oh, she's being flirty, and oh, she's, she's, she's got stuff going on with her clothes and stuff, so, so, yeah. Um, I also like Cassandra a lot from uh, Soul Calibur 2. I like her green outfit. Her green outfit, very good green outfit, so. Um, I couldn't think of too much, too much more, um, from that point on though. Um, you know, I do have lady characters I like, um, now, um, uh, what's her name? Gosh, I was about to say she's my favorite. And then I blanked on her idea from, uh, Somerbringer is one of my favorite lady characters, but not from, I don't know. I feel like the vibe of this question was what ladies did you like when you were younger? Like when went like more of a crush kind of thing. I don't know, Jillian. I hope you enjoyed that answer. Whatever, Jillian. Thank you again for donating and supporting Jillian and Zero. And I haven't checked the Kofi in a bit. Let's see. Let's go on an adventure together. Did somebody donate to the Kofi? Are you going to get whoever you are props for donating? Nope, just Zero and, Scott and Jillian. So anyways, Thank you again, Zero, Jillian, and anybody else who's supported me in the past as well. I really appreciate it. 
All right, the last segment. We, we're making good time. I'm glad. I was a little worried we were going to get kind of caught up. I did kind of shorten some segments down, I think. But I think sometimes trying to shorten stuff up is generally a better thing to do, especially when it's talking about, like, Nintendo hardware stories. And, like, guess what? Go to every Nintendo podcast in the world, and uh, I can tell you they talked about the uh, patent stuff, I'm sure. <sighs> I don't know why I breathe so heavily there. Tokin and Kiwami. Oh, gosh. We talked about this a little bit before, but I'm going to start fresh in case you haven't heard about it a little bit. And I have more, like, organized thoughts on this. But if you don't know, Tokin and Kiwami, this is a Koei Tecmo kind of Monster Hunter clone that was released, I believe, in the late 2000s, um, very much around that, like, local wireless multiplayer boom that happened in Japan where you had a lot of, like, games in that Monster Hunter style and things like that. And uh, Tokiden Kiwami is, or Tokiden was originally a PSP game, and Tokiden Kiwami is the enhanced re-release with that with uh, more content and things like that. So if, if you have any familiarity with how these kind of games operate, what ends up happening is you have a game that is really one video game, but it is two kind of distinct stories separately. Um, uh, typically, they might carry over into each other, but they they feel like two longer. It feels like a longer game because there's basically two tales that are told in this game um, from each release, basically. So, you know, as a Monster Hunter game, there's a lot of familiarity in the structure. If you ever played one of those kind of games, you have a central hub that you kind of go to and you can, you know, equip a diverse number of weapons that have different play styles and you can create equipment and all of those use like monster parts and things like that. And as you kill stronger monsters, that lets you craft stronger gear and there's like elemental elements to your weapons. So a lot of customization with that kind of stuff. And then once you've built your your gear, um, you know, you kind of go out and accept missions from like a, a desk and then you get into a, a zone that's typically invite, divided up into 10 tiny rooms that you kind of go between. Because guess what? The PSP didn't have a lot of RAM. <laughs> so so we have to divide it into these tiny rooms. Um, and so there's like 10 or so rooms. So even though this is a PS4 game, or at least I'm playing the PS4 version, I think there's a Vita version as well, and a PSP one in Japan, I believe, is as well. Um, of the of the remake, um, it, it still holds on to a lot of those kind of like PSP era um um you know intricacies or or, or, or bug baggage, maybe it's the better word, kind of like that. So you go to those areas, you can hunt down a monster. And, uh, and that's kind of it. Um, kind of the biggest differences from like this actual hunting part of the game is that, uh, it is a faster paced game versus a monster hunter. Um, so, so I think like lighter weapons in the game are a bit more useful here where in monster hunter, you kind of want the bigger, slower, slower lumbering weapons. And then also, uh, monsters in this game have various limbs that you can amputate and get uh, more materials from. It doesn't typically affect their like actual capabilities in battle, which is a little disappointing. That's something I really liked from the game freedom wars on the PlayStation Vita um that had it where you could rip parts of the enemy and like it would actually disable their ability to uh to uh to act but Tokyo just has these kind of ghost limbs that appear to replace that kind of thing so the two things that i think really make Tokyo and kiwami stand out though are the ability system and uh the story and i think the story in particular is like one that i really enjoy and it's why i kind of played Tokyo and kiwami despite having already played through Tokyo and 2 a while ago and in both that ability system and the story are very kind of like intertwined with each other. So basically what this game has is in addition to your weapon that kind of defines your play style, um, you also get uh, classes that you can assign to yourself. And they're like attacker, defender, healer, um, some that are a bit more specific to the mechanics of the game so it can help you like remove limbs and things like that. 
And each class has like two main skills that you use in battle. And then also a third like extra skill that's like your 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 super skill for that match. And you usually can use it once or maybe twice if you have enough time in an encounter. So um the movesets between uh your 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 like weapon doesn't really change from those classes. Um so it's more about those abilities and how they affect your weapon. So like when you're using a slow lumbering hammer, you know, using an attack up one uh, skill will just make you do more damage or it might make you focus more on like getting critical hits depending on what ability you're using versus if you're using like a speed uh, skill or something like that, then your, your character moves a lot faster and attacks a lot faster, things like that. So there's a lot of different ways you can kind of combine these classes with your weapons and kind of have these kind of complementary um, elements. So these classes are not really assigned to you as much are they as they are uh, assigned to something called Mitama. And the Mitama are like dead heroes from Japan's past that basically were eaten by uh, these things called Oni, which is like this big demonic force that's like overrunning the lands of Japan and kind of isolating all these villages from each other, things like that. And you are like one of the villages that are left alive trying to hold out against this Oni horde. And so all these these heroes that are, are based off like real historical figures in Japan um, uh, are, are have been consumed. And so when you fight Oni in the game, you, you find more of these heroes and they kind of come into your body and they'll talk to you for a little bit before becoming essentially uh, the, the, the skill in your, or the class that you can equip in your, in your inventory. There are tons and tons of Oni in this game. However, a lot of them have the same, or they, they, they overlap in class. Cause there's only like, I think 10 or so classes. Um, and also their abilities don't change when it comes to like the actual skills you can activate in battle. But what they do have that's unique to them are various stats and skill buffs. So as you level them up, you can get up to like level 10 or something like that. Um, you will unlock skills and abilities on that Mitama and, uh, those can like increase your attack. It can increase, you know, um, your speed and increase, you know, a variety of different things. It, it adds a lot of different uh, modifiers to your weapons. And some of them are weapon specific and things like that. And some of them are ability specific. So there's a lot of variety to like how these characters can buff you. So you you have your main Mitama and the buffs you have on there, that Mitama do matter. But your secondary Mitama where the buffs really matter because they're they don't add any kind of additional skills to your character. They just have the buffs. So you have one main Mitama that determines your class and your skills, and then the kind of backup Mitama after that that basically supply uh, buffs to you. And um, while they have set skills that you can earn from them and things like that, they also have the ability to um, have bonus skills if you connect Mitama that have like historical relevance to each other. So they, they're either new to themselves uh, in person or, or they were like had a similar role to another character in history in Japan and things like that. So so it, it's a pretty neat and it, 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 it focuses a lot on that element of the game. And so these dead spirits kind of lead into the main story of the game where you, you play your kind of like faceless main character and, and basically you're known as like the unifier because you can basically get all these ghost people in you when typically a person would only have one. And so what happens is story-wise, these Mitama, unfortunately, are kind of underutilized for the most part. There are some more story-relevant Mitama, but um, the, 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 those kind of fall to the background and they're more like dressing for the game where the actual story you have is more about your side cast members who are people who are in your party in town and you help out and you can take on missions and things like that. And because this game is kind of all about, you know, the death of those Mitama and stuff like that, it also in, kind of goes into the other aspects of the story where death is also like a very heavy presence as well. And so all these interactions you have with different people and stuff typically revolves around them accepting death in one form or another, you know, whether that be, you know, being in a position where they're 
they're okay with dying if they die out on the battlefield now or or sometimes okay with like not not killing themselves on the battlefield like like everyone has these like different relationships with death and things like that um but then there's also uh you know their relationship with a character who died as well and so there's a lot of things with like oh this person is like haunted by the fact that this this other character died and it like it makes them less able to continue to function and move forward in life and things like that. So um, while they're all based around death in a way that you might think would get like kind of um, plain and overplayed, I think they do a really good job of mixing up, you know, how death relates to a person. And also if, if it's a death of another, how that person's relationship with them um, uh, changes or like what, how that death impacted them. So while it's all about basically kind of accepting death of others and things like that, I think it does a really good job of keeping variety going and making sure each character's story feels particularly, you know, distinct from one another, despite being you know based around the same topics and things like that. So it's a good amount of variety around like a, a central theme. There are some characters that I think at times are a little weaker on the story side of things. Um, but you know, generally the stories are all pretty short overall. So even if you find a character, you're like, ah, I don't really like vibe with what's going on with them. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, after, after an hour or two, you'll kind of move on to the next story and, and things like that. So, but as I kind of mentioned, the, the games are kind of two games in one. Um, so, you know, gameplay wise, you're not going to feel that much of a difference, but when it comes to, um, story, I do feel like the second story in this game is, uh, a big improvement on the first part. The first part is very focused on your side characters and chasing basically Oni to kind of deal with their problems specifically. And, and I think that works well. Um, but the, the second story I think just has a, a lot stronger of a plot and there's a lot more complicated relationships with characters. You also get like another, um, leader type character comes to your group. So you're kind of like the leader of the troop in your town. And then another like leader type shows up and, and, and their like entire squad has basically died at this point. And so like the relationship he, they have with their squad is very different than yours because in your case, they're all still alive. Right. And in their case, it's not. So, so there's like a lot of like interesting, like different types of supporting members that get added, um, with different characters or different stories and things like that. And usually I feel like those, those stories are a bit more in depth than just, Oh, there's a girl in the other town that died kind of thing, right? There's, there's ones that are a lot more about, you know, sacrificing others and things like that to, to achieve goals through death and things like that. And then also characters who, who in some ways are trying to like invite death to the world and things like that because of their own, um, um, inability to, to, to deal with death and things like that. Right. So there's, there's a lot more interesting, diverse characters, I feel like in that second half of the story. And, and overall, I think it's, it is, a, it is worth playing through to the second half of the story. If you play through that first part, because even though it is more of the same game, generally, um, the strong, the story I think is, is the, the strongest of Tokiden, the Tokiden remake content, and then also Tokiden 2, I already played through that myself, and uh, and I really enjoyed it. And Tokiden 2 has a lot of great improvements that I think if you haven't played Tokiden 2 and you find yourself enjoying Tokiden Kiwami a lot, highly recommend Tokiden 2. But anyways, overall, very good game. I think it is one of my favorite kind of Monster Hunter style games. Tokiden 2, I think, is generally a better game in terms of mechanics. Story-wise, I think maybe Tokiden 1's a bit stronger than, than Tokiden 2 is, and, um, but yeah. Um, but good, strong weapon variety, a really cool world based around like this, like very, uh, hopeless version of, of Japan and things like that. And I feel like it has a really distinct, uh, layer of storytelling to it. That's, that does a really good job of focusing on one particular, um, 
theme, but then making sure the variety is there to to stay keep being interesting. So. Anyways, that's going to be it. I am surprised that it's as short as it is. I expected it to be way longer, but here we are. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, like I said earlier, we're still on the every other two weeks uh, thing here. So um, this will probably be the last podcast I really highlight it, probably, I think, unless there's some other reason why I need to do that. Uh, nothing really new at the moment in terms of just, like, stuff that's coming out. I'm still just working on stuff behind the scenes. Um, I forget if I mentioned it earlier, but I played through, well, I'm playing through, I didn't quite finish it, but Bokunatsu, uh, Natsu Yasumi 2, um, I, I playtested that, so, uh, definitely check that out if you're interested in kind of good feel summer vacation games, um, and, and kind of like, I don't know, like, like, it's a very sappy game, I don't say that in a bad way, but like, you know, I think you gotta be willing to give yourself to the game a lot of times, um, and I know some people think that's kind of like, you know, basically you know giving the game too much credit but i think it is a good game in that regard and i think if you do approach it like a video game it's gonna be kind of hard to get into so i I would recommend you know just kind of taking it slow enjoying it like an experience things like that um i might write something about bokunatsu too i don't know yet but uh, i don't think i'll make a video just because i can't think of any angle i would feel really good about investing a ton of time in uh, I don't know. You know me. I'll, I will say I'm not going to do this. And then two weeks later, I'll be like, oh, guys, sorry. I lied. I made a book enough to two videos. <laughs> so, so, yeah. But, uh, we'll be nearing uh, Thanksgiving by the time uh, we talk again. So, uh, thank you guys for coming. I appreciate you uh, listening and tuning in. Um, and yeah, I, uh, will be looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. Otherwise I'm going to try to finish up Boku soon here and, uh, hopefully get back to Arkwright's Fantasia, everybody's favorite video game, uh, and get more progress on that because I am still only like halfway through that video game. Jesus Christ. I was like, started in April this year, whatever it was, when I first came back from Japan, whenever it was, I came back and was like, I'm going to do this. And then here we are today. I'm still barely through it. I would like to finish it by the end of the year, but not looking too good on that. Yes, have a great week. One Chillboard.com is the website. And have a great two weeks, I guess, actually. Yes, goodbye.